We come to John chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can open there or the words will be up here on the screen. If you didn't get a printed message and you would like one, feel free to get up now and get one or uh, get one after the service. Or if you have an electronic device, you can call it up on the church website and uh, <clears throat> the uh, audio messages too will be available <clears throat> on the website. <clears throat> There's an outline also in your bulletin. John chapter 12. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a a pound, or it would be a Roman pound, about 12 ounces, uh, of very costly perfume of pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of Jews then learned that he was there and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. The story of Mary anointing the Lord just days before his crucifixion uh, has had a profound influence on my walk with the Lord now for over 45 years because it was over 45 years ago that I first read, and since then I have reread many times, a powerful sermon by the late Chinese. Uh, Preacher Watchman Nee. It occurs in the last chapter of his book, The Normal Christian Life, and it's called The Goal of the Gospel in that book, but it's also available in a little pamphlet called Why This Waste? And I Googled it this week. You can read it on, online if you just Google Why This Waste, and Watchman Nee's name will pop up. You can read that. I highly encourage all of you to do it. And I'm sure that this sermon is throughout influenced by that uh, sermon, even when I don't acknowledge it. But Nee points out that in the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark, um, the one in Luke 7, by the way, is a whole different incident. But in Matthew 26 and in Mark 14, there's a parallel, there are parallel accounts. 
that all the disciples, not just Judas, all of them joined Judas in criticizing Mary um, for wasting this expensive perfume on Jesus when it could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus, however, defends Mary by replying, and this is his answer in Matthew twenty six thirteen. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And he makes the point that Jesus intends that the preaching of the gospel should issue in something along the very lines of the action of Mary here. Namely, he says, that people come to Jesus and they waste themselves on him. Or to put it another way, as he states it on page 187, he says the gospel is to bring each one of us to a true estimate of his worth. To bring each one of us to a true estimate of Jesus' worth. And if Jesus is the pearl of great price, if Jesus is that treasure hidden in a field which a man finds, then it is worth selling everything you have, giving all that you are to buy that pearl or to buy that field. And Jesus is worthy for you and me to devote all that we are and all that we have to him. And this story shows us this infinite worth of the Lord Jesus. So it's a story about how to waste your life, or you can put that in quotes and say really a story about how not to waste your life. It's also a story about motivation, namely, why do you do what you do for the Lord? For example, do you serve him because it brings you great satisfaction uh, when you see results? I confess I get great satisfaction when I see the Lord using me somehow to produce a result, but that's the wrong reason to serve the Lord. Or do you serve the Lord because it really brings you joy to see people helped? Again, it's very gratifying to see people helped, and that's a legitimate thing, but that's a lousy reason to serve the Lord. That's not why you should be serving the Lord. The true motive for serving the Lord is because the Lord is worthy. He is worthy of everything you are, everything you can do for Him, and the true motive is you love the Lord and you want to please the Lord because the Lord gave himself for you on the cross. And so that should permeate everything that we do in serving the Lord. Uh, it, it should be, like Mary's action here, an act of devotion to him. John doesn't just tell us about Mary, though. He very decidedly contrasts Mary's action with Judas and also with the evil plans of the chief priests, whom he informs us here now not only want to kill Jesus, but they want to add Lazarus to their hit list because through Lazarus's testimony, just through the very fact that he was alive from the dead, uh, many were believing in Jesus. And so we have to phrase the lesson as a contrast. 
And the contrast is this, that a life spent in selfless devotion to Jesus is not wasted, but a life spent on self is totally wasted. And so the story is really a graphic illustration of Jesus' words that he gives us in Mark 8, 35 and 36, where he says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. That's Judas. That's the chief priest. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And as we'll see, Jesus repeats that same idea just a few verses below in John 12, verse 25, where he says, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. And so Mary lost her life, so to speak, by devoting this extravagant gift to the Lord, and she gained that which could not be taken from her. Judas and the chief priests, uh, they wanted their way. Judas greedily wished he could have just pocketed some of this money from this gift, and then later he's going to sell Jesus for a paltry sum. And he lost his soul, and uh, so did the chief priests and scribes. Uh, First, let's look at the positive side of it, Mary's example, and that is that you will not waste your life if you spend it in selfless devotion to Jesus. Or to put it another way, to waste your life on Jesus is to save your life. Paraphrasing what Jesus said in those verses I just read. And Mary's act here reflects four components of selfless devotion. The first thing we should note is that selfless devotion is costly. And Mary's anointing Jesus with this perfume was costly in at least three ways. First of all, selfless devotion to Jesus costs you financially. And here the question is, do I treasure Jesus more than my stuff. Do I treasure Jesus more than material goods, than money and the things money can buy? This pure nard that she used to anoint Jesus was a spice that came from high in the Himalaya mountains of northern India, and it had to be imported by probably camelback all the way from that great distance to Israel. So it was a very expensive product, as you can imagine. We don't know where Mary got this jar. Uh, If you have a liter water bottle, it's about two-thirds of a liter of, uh, of expensive ointment. It could have been a family heirloom. Uh, we, we don't know where she got it, but Judas estimates that it could have sold for 300 denarii. Now, for Matthew 20, we know that a denarii was about the day's wage for a working man. And so we're talking about an enormous sum of money in today's labor. Just take almost minimum wage, $10 an hour, uh, multiply that by an eight-hour day, And uh, you come up with about $24,000 for this one jar of perfume. We're talking 
better than Chanel or whatever the other expensive brands are. This was really the potent stuff. 24 grand poured out on Jesus. This was extravagant. I mean, it was costly. And so Judas and the disciples, who according to the other Gospels, joined him in scolding Mary. I mean, they were only being sensible, weren't they? Uh, She could have sold this, given 90% of it to the poor, 10% to the Lord, and it still would have been an extravagant gift, $2,400 instead of $24,000. You know, I mean, weren't they just being sensible? No. The Lord rebukes them in verse 8. He says, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, he is not saying we should not be concerned for the poor, but he is saying this, I am worthy and worth more than all the world's poor combined. You see, if Jesus were not God in human flesh, that would be an incredibly egotistical comment. You've always got the poor, but you don't always have me. But the point is Jesus is worthy because he left glory as the eternal God took on human flesh and went to the cross for our sins. And so Jesus is accepting the worship that Mary gave him and he always in the Gospels accepts all the worship that people give him. And we see here that he is worthy of all that we can give him and more. Uh, We'll sing as a closing song, but just to remind you of Isaac Watts' great song, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and he has that verse, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So the point is, devotion to Christ is going to cost you financially. But if you bought, he bought you with his blood, then you don't own anything. The idea of tithing is simply not biblical. Everything you are and everything you have belongs to the Lord, and you need to seek him for how much does he want me to free up for his kingdom purpose, and how much does he want me to spend on myself. And, you know, I think, honestly, most of us would have probably said, well, let's see, I've got this nice thing. I'll tithe, you know, I'll sell it for 24000 give 2400 to the Lord's work, and then I'll use the rest to buy a little more late model mule. But that's not what Mary did. Mary knew that Jesus was worth it all, and she gave it all. It's an astounding thing. Many years ago, there was a pastor who did something radical before his sermon. They took the offering, and as they took the offering, he went down off the pulpit, and he followed the usher down every row, and he watched to see what every person gave or did not give. He went through the whole congregation that way, and then he went back up in the pulpit. Some of his people were kind of angry about what he had done, Uh, Some of them were embarrassed. All of them were surprised. And then he opened the Bible and began to talk about the story where Jesus stood at the temple treasury 
And he watched what all the people were throwing in. And as you may know, they had a big horn-shaped thing that was metal. So when the Pharisees would throw in all their coins, rattle, 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 you know, as they all went down into the treasury box. And then the widow came. Clink, clink, two mites. And Jesus said, she's given the most. And then he made the point. You know, Jesus does every week what I just did. He knows what each one of you gives or does not give. And we're all accountable to him. So let me just ask the question, is your devotion to the Lord costing you something financially? If, if a, a, an unbeliever got to look at your checkbook balance or most of us go online now, but they went online and looked at your bank account, would they conclude, wow, this person must love Jesus a whole lot? Because your giving reflects that. Secondly, selfish devotion costs you socially. And here the question is, do I treasure Jesus more than my pride? Matthew and Mark say that Mary anointed Jesus' head John says the feet, there's not a contradiction if she did both, and I think she did. I think probably Matthew and Mark emphasize anointing Jesus' head because that's what you did with a king. And they wanted to make the point, Jesus is the king. But John is going to give us an example in the very next chapter of humble servanthood where Jesus goes around and washes the disciples' feet. And so... He tells how Mary not only anointed the head, but he focuses on her anointing Jesus' feet. That was the task of a servant. It was not something that you did for your guests. You brought your servant in to do that for your guests. And Mary does it. But she doesn't use a towel as Jesus does with the basin and towel in chapter 13. Instead, she, she wipes the Lord's feet with her hair. Now, in that culture, for a woman to let her hair down in a public setting, uh, was, it just wasn't done. Respectable women didn't do it. In fact, it was really considered the mark of a loose woman to do it. But I think the point is here that Mary is so caught up in her act of devotion to Jesus that she just casts aside public sentiment and and custom, and all of that, and in this act of reckless devotion to Jesus, she wipes his feet with her hair. It reminds me of that story in in the Old Testament where David is so caught up in his worship that he dances before the Lord in a linen ephod, and I don't know exactly what it was, but apparently it just wasn't done by kings. You know, it was disgraceful. And his wife was appalled. And the second he walked in the door, she had watched him out the window. She just chewed him out. But the Lord stood with David on that occasion. And the Lord stands with Mary on this occasion. He defends her. And so you have to ask the question, do I treasure Jesus more than my pride? Here's one practical way. You're out in public. And there's some fanatic who likes to pray out loud in public. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful you're here tonight. And you're going, you know, you're embarrassed. 
Why? Why? Pride. Why not let everybody know, you know, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I remember the time, Ed remembers this. Remember when we were at the Grand Canyon with all those GR people and we're praying out on the rim? And uh, a lady walks up. And it turns out she had been with GR many years. And she saw us international group, you know, one guy in his robes from Nigeria with the little uh, Nigerian hat on and different nationalities. And we're all praying on the rim. And it was, at least to her, she thought, they must be Christians. And she came over and joined us and had a good time of fellowship. You know, people might think you're a zealot. I hope you are. (laughs) They might think you're a fanatic. Yeah. Aren't we to be fanatics for Jesus? So, do I love Jesus? Treasure him more than my pride. The third aspect of how selfish, selfless devotion costs you is it's going to cost you some criticism. And here the question is, do I treasure Jesus more than my reputation? Judas leads the attack, but as I said, the other disciples join in. Matthew 26, 8 reports the, the uh, incident this way. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? Why this waste? I mean, they were only being pragmatic and sensible, weren't they? $24,000 poured out on Jesus? Was that a waste? Jesus didn't think so. But you can count on it. If you give yourself without reserve to Jesus, you're going to catch flack, and probably you're going to catch it from the Christian crowd first. You know, good church-going people who are sensible. Come on. You know, think strategically. Think of all the poor families that could have been helped by this money, and, and you just pour it out. What a waste. In the Shadow of the Almighty, if you haven't read that book, that's another one. Add to your bucket list of books before you die. The Shadow of the Almighty, the story of Jim Elliot. When he was going to go to South America, his Christian parents tried to talk him out of it by asking him to consider whether his gifts could not be better used among the young people in the U.S. And he replies with a rather scathing denunciation of the lukewarm American church, And as you know the story, he went to South America and he and four other young men were all speared to death by the fierce tribe of people that they were trying to take the love of Jesus to. What a waste. What a waste. Five young lives. Or was it? John Payton, that's another one. Add that to your bucket list. It's out there, the story of John Payton. If you don't know that story, he was a Scottish man back in the 1800s, 19th century. And uh, he felt compelled to take the gospel to the cannibals of the South Sea Islands. I always love it, by the way, at the Olympics. when they have the March of the Nations. And they get to the V's and there's Vanuatu. That's where Peyton went. And the Vanuatu Islands are mostly Christian today because Peyton went there. The first missionaries that set foot on Vanuatu were killed and eaten within an hour. 
And he said, I'm going. And he's taking his new bride. And there was an old man in his church who used to say, you'll be eaten by cannibals. You'll be eaten by cannibals. And finally, Peyton got exasperated with this guy. And he said to him one time, my dear sir, you're getting up in years. And soon you're going to be laid in the grave and eaten by worms. He said, if I can but live and die honoring the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And he said, on that great resurrection day, my body will rise as fair as yours. And he went. And it's an amazing story. You've got to read it of how God used John Payton. But the point is, selfless devotion to Christ involves personal cost. Secondly, selfish, selfless devotion to Christ stems from personal love and gratitude to Christ. Now, you say, well, the text doesn't say that. Well, yes, I grant, but you've got to read that into the text. It is there. Uh, Mary's action stemmed from her love for Jesus. We saw back in chapter 11, John states in verse 5 very directly, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and they loved Jesus. It was mutual. But the point is, love for Jesus Christ should be our motive in everything we do. It should be our driving factor. Judas postures himself here as being concerned for the poor, but Judas was concerned for number one. He was concerned for Judas. Uh, He was motivated not by love for Christ. And, you know, even if Judas had gotten that money from Mary and given it to the poor, he would have given it for the wrong motive because he didn't love Jesus. You know, there are people today that give a lot of money to Christian causes. God knows their heart, but it always kind of bothers me when Christian organizations name buildings after the big donor. Or, you know, we'll put a plaque up on the wall and everybody from now on will be able to read how much you gave to make this room available to whatever. Uh, I don't know. I think they have their reward, is my view. Don't let the right hand know what the left is doing when you give. Just give as unto the Lord. And Jesus says, the Father in heaven will reward you. He knows. You're giving it for him. And the point is, the Lord looks on the hidden motives of our heart, not on the outward actions. In that chapter I mentioned, Watchman Nee points out, he says, the first question we must ask in all that we do is, Has the Lord been satisfied? Was the Lord satisfied with your worship this morning? Is the Lord satisfied with your heart attitude right now? Will the Lord be satisfied when you give to his work? All of that is Godward. Doing it to please him. Because I love him. Because he gave himself for me. So selfless devotion to Christ is costly. It also stems from personal love and gratitude. But thirdly, selfless devotion flows from knowing Jesus personally. Now, verse 7 in our text here in John 12 is kind of difficult to interpret. It says, Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, you say, what does he mean? Because Mary didn't keep it. He just, she just poured it out. 
so there isn't anything left to keep. And then you wonder, well, how much did Mary understand about the fact that Jesus is going to die since not even the disciples understood that Jesus was going to die until after the fact? Um, Jesus' impending death is it's, it's a question. Did Mary know? Did she not know? I, I don't know. I think the meaning might be that Mary had not sold the perfume to this point so that she could use it for this very act, which Jesus is explaining is for the day of his burial. I kind of have a hunch that because Mary sat at Jesus' feet and learned from him, she might have had some insight that the disciples even lacked. Maybe she wasn't crystal clear on it, but I think maybe in her sensitive heart she could discern It's not looking good here. I think Jesus is going to die. Or maybe in the providence of God, she anointed him unwittingly. But in either case, Mary had something the disciples did not. And that is a higher view of the infinite worth of Jesus. See, they thought it was a waste. Pour out this perfume on him. She didn't. She knew he was worthy. And where did she get that knowledge? Well, as I mentioned in the previous message, every time you see Mary in the Gospels, she's at one place, at Jesus' feet. In Luke 10, she's sitting at Jesus' feet, learning from him. In John 11, she's at Jesus' feet, pouring out her sorrow and grief to him in the death of her brother. And here in John 12... She's at Jesus' feet, pouring out her selfless devotion to Christ as she anoints him. And if you want to have the love and devotion that Mary had for Jesus, you've got to join her in sitting at Jesus' feet often. Learning from his word, pouring out all your sorrows and joys to him, and worshiping him. Because he is worthy. The final thing, selfless devotion, results in action. And the point here is, Mary didn't just think, you know, I bet it'd be a great idea to anoint Jesus. And further thought, nah, that's kind of radical. And she didn't do it. No, she did it. She did it. She, she took this expensive ointment and poured it all out on Jesus. And the point I'm making is good intentions are nice, but it's good actions that really make the difference, right? She followed through. She did it. And there are three results here, three actions that we can look at that flow, I think, all of them from selfless devotion. One from Mary, one from Martha, and one from Lazarus. From Mary, we see that action results in the fragrance of Christ surrounding your life. Verse 3. And John is the only gospel to report this. John says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You ever somewhere where you smell something and it triggers a memory? I think we've all had that experience. You know, maybe it's just hamburgers barbecuing in the backyard and you flash back to your childhood and a barbecue or something. Or smell we associate with memories. And, and John 
I think every time after this he ever smelled nard, maybe in the crowded marketplace and the vendors were yelling, nard for sale, and here's a sample. And John thought, Mary, Mary, I remember the house was filled with the fragrance of that. You walk in the door, you would have gone, wow, wow, that smells good. Maybe even outside the window, if it was open, you would have smelled it. It was in Mary's hair, so wherever Mary went serving, you would have smelled it. And it leads me to ask, can people smell the fragrance of Christ in you? You say, well, well, what does it smell like? Well, it smells like the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those qualities should just waft from us so that every Christian home smells like the fragrance of the fruit of the Spirit. Husbands and wives, does your relationship smell like that? Parents and children, you get that fragrance, as Mary did, by spending time at his feet and by selfless devotion to him, worshiping him. How about our church? You know, one of the things that grieves me as a pastor is I hear somebody's going to another church and I'll inquire, well, really, why did they change? Oh, they had a falling out with so-and-so. Really? Really? And they didn't work it through? Oh, that's grievous. That shouldn't be. Our church should smell like the fragrance of the fruit of the Spirit. And I know it's hard, and I know people rub you wrong and rub me wrong, and we're all wired differently, and we're all in process, but that's the stuff of the church, is working through relationships in that climate of of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's my prayer that people that walk in the front door would go... (laughs) Something's different here. Something's different here, and I like that smell. And what they smell is the fragrance of Christ on every one of us. So, action results first in the fragrance of Christ. Secondly, action results in service for Christ. And here, we're looking at Martha, verse 2. Just a little phrase. Martha was serving. Kind of throws that in. That takes us back to Luke 10. Remember, Martha was serving there, but there's a difference. There, Martha was serving and grumbling. Lord, my sister isn't helping. Tell her to get up and help me, would you? As G. Campbell Morgan points out, in Luke 10, Martha was fixing dinner for four and she was grumbling. In John 12, she's fixing dinner for at least 17 and there's not a word of grumbling. I think she learned the lesson. She's serving the Lord with joy because she knew the Lord was worthy. And if you serve him, you got to serve without complaint. 
Again, I know people are going to bug you, and they're going to irk you, and sometimes we vent, but it's got to be for the Lord, out of love for Him. And that's what takes the edge off, where you can say, well, I didn't serve for them, I served for the Lord, and He doesn't complain. The third thing action results in is witness for Christ. And here we're looking at Lazarus. And the text says three things about Lazarus that um, James Boyce has a whole sermon on this. I decided to condense it into this one point. First of all, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Second of all, Lazarus was reclining at table, which means he was there in fellowship with Jesus, who had raised him from the dead. And thirdly, Lazarus' resurrected life was being used as a witness for Christ. People were coming to see him, and they were believing in Jesus as a result. Now, there are some scholars who say, well, they're just curiosity seekers. It wasn't genuine faith. But John doesn't say that. He just says in verse 11, on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Now, apply that to you. First of all, like Lazarus, you should have experienced a resurrection from the dead. Granted, not physically. Uh, it's not quite as dramatic, maybe, to be raised spiritually as physically in terms of others going, whoa. But there should be something observable where others recognize Man, there was a dramatic change in that guy, in that gal. Something's different about them. It's because Jesus gave you new life. And then, if he did, you got to do like Lazarus and spend time in fellowship with him. Eating at the table with him. And then, because our Savior came to seek and save the lost, as you grow to become like our Savior, then... You pray God will raise or will use you to raise others to spiritual life, that He will use your life, your witness, so that others will go away and believe. So look again at verse 11. And uh, wouldn't it be great if we all could put our names in there and just say, on account of Steve, many were going away and believing in Jesus? Oh, I wish that were true. You know, put your name in there. On account of your name, many. We're going away and believing in Jesus. Well, I wish the story could end there and we could just close and move on. But John doesn't present it that way. He draws a contrast to warn us. And so we briefly have to look at the other side. And that is, you'll totally waste your life if you spend it on yourself. And here we're looking at Judas and the Jewish leaders who are seeking now not only to kill Jesus... But they add Lazarus to their list. Both parties were acting out of self-interest. Judas thought, "Ah, a little more money will bring me happiness. I wish Mary had given me that expensive ointment and I could have pocketed quite a bit of it. Wrong values. Uh, Maybe Judas even joined the apostolic band, I don't know, thinking, you know, if Jesus is the king of Israel in waiting, when he gets into office, I'm going to have a nice, fat income and a comfy position. And now Jesus seems to be talking an awful lot about his death. And uh, 
that's not a good sign. And the other Gospels report this story of Mary out of chronological sequence in order to contrast what Mary did with what Judas did. Because as soon as he sees Mary do this and Jesus defends her, Judas goes off to betray Jesus for a measly 30 pieces of silver. And so Judas sought his life. And he lost it. He lived for himself. And he died a miserable man. And spends eternity in hell. The chief priests and the scribes. They want to kill the author of life. The one who could raise a man from the dead. And then they want to kill uh, Lazarus. I mean, you know, it's like we know the evidence. And the evidence is true. So let's get rid of the evidence. Why? Well, they liked their power. They had a comfy situation running the temple and doing a little business there in the temple that Jesus disrupted a couple of times. But they lived for themselves and they lost their lives too. Jesus says again in John 12, 25, He who loves his life loses it. And so to come back to Mary's action... That's the basis for evaluating your actions. Do you do what you do because you love Jesus and you treasure Jesus above all else? That's the motive for whatever you do. At home, at church. See, she wasn't doing this out of duty. Well, I guess I should tithe. She wasn't doing it out of pragmatism. Well, I think I can do it this way and make ends meet. No. She was doing it out of devotion. She loved Jesus. And she had this perception of Jesus that even the apostles lacked. Jesus is worthy of everything. And so she did this extravagant act of love. And as I said, she gained that by sitting at Jesus' feet. But when Jesus is your treasure, then you devote yourself to him. And and there's nothing too expensive for Jesus. Many years ago, I heard Bill Mills speak at a pastor's and wives conference down at Prescott Pines. And he told a story about a time that he was speaking to some Wycliffe missionaries down in South America And on the last evening, he ate dinner with the director down there and his wife, and she told him how many years before the the couple had been assigned to translate the Bible into one of the tribal languages. And so they began that long and difficult task of, you know, learning the language, reducing it to writing, all of that. Back before computers, it could take up to 20 years to do that. During that time, of course, they were trying to tell the native people about Jesus, and they saw some success. They saw a small church formed and emerging. But over the years, as the translation project came to a close, the drug cartels had moved in and began to offer the people lots of money to grow crops for drugs. And the people were being seduced by the love of money away from the love of the Lord and his word. 
And as you may know, the Wycliffe, when they finish a translation, they make a big deal out of it, and rightly so. They throw a party, and they have a big celebration, and bring in all the executives, and they have copies of it to give out to all the people. And they did that, and not one person from the tribe came. Not one. And this missionary wife was angry, and she was bitter. And she told Bill, she said, I gave 20 years of my life to translate the Bible into that language, and they don't even care. And then she said, but, you know, with regard to Bill's ministry of the word that week, she said, it's as though God has been washing his word over my soul and healing me as he's opened my eyes to see all of this from his perspective. She said, I'm just now beginning to realize that we did it for him. We did it for him. She said, that's the only thing that makes any sense in all of this. We did it for God. And Bill concludes, that's the only thing that makes any sense in ministry. We do it for him. And so the world might scorn our message and people in the church might criticize us for what we're doing. But the real issue is, are we anointing Jesus because we love him? Is it our selfless devotion to Christ that's motivating us and impelling us to waste our lives on Jesus? And a life wasted on Jesus isn't lost, is it? Jesus said, if you lose it, you get it. If you get it, you lose it. Father, I pray that you would help all of us to examine our hearts, to check our love for you. If we've lost that first love for you, Lord, that you would ignite it in our hearts again. Help us to see the infinite worth of Jesus. That there is no gift too great, no life too important, that it should not be spent on him. And Lord, that our focus would always be on pleasing you, on worshiping you, that that would be the driving force in every dime we give, every moment we serve, our efforts to teach kids, our efforts to do anything we do for you, Lord, that it all would be driven by selfless devotion for Jesus. And Lord, that the fragrance of Jesus would fill this place, that it would fill our homes, that many others would be drawn to you through us. And we do love you. And Lord, we ask you to increase our love for you. And we confess, Lord, how we often get caught up with all the world and its junk. Help us to get our priorities right. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.